church. Good morning. Good morning. It's great to be with you. Um, it's great to be back again in Grand Rapids for the first day of spring, which was yesterday. I've been told that spring doesn't start until June, and I shouldn't be spreading that rumor, but it technically was the first day of spring yesterday, so I'm wearing my flowers in honor of the sun coming out. It was such a gorgeous day yesterday. Um, and I think I would answer that question about smells in this way. Um, one of my favorite things to do when I come to Grand Rapids is to stay at the Scott's house because that is where the fun is happening, right? It's where the fun is always happening. And yesterday morning, um, Saturday morning, I was awoken by an amazing smell coming from the kitchen, my favorite smell, and Brenda was making bacon, right? So there had to be some bacon people who chose that out there, right? Some bacon people. The second favorite might be like chocolate chip cookies. Anyone? Anyone? And there's probably someone who did the gas, because there's always one who's like, gas, I love the smell of gas. <laughs> fuel, fuel. I should have said that. I should have designated that fuel. It's going to be fun, guys. It's already a good morning. Um, so we're continuing in our series on Luke this morning. And as we looked at last week, it was such a great sermon last week, talking about as Jesus begins to declare who he is, and as Luke begins to say, this is who Jesus is, now we're into a season where Jesus does stuff, okay? That's my deeply theological summary of what we're about to talk about. <laughs> this is where Jesus starts to do stuff. He does some miracles. He's healing some people. He's inviting some people to come and be with him in his ministry, saying, I'm not the only one that's going to do stuff. I'm going to teach you to do stuff. We're going to do stuff together. So that's what's happening in this passage as we come to it in Luke. And what we're looking at specifically is about obedience, the concept of obedience, now, even as I say that, some of you are bristling a little bit. You're like, ooh, I'm kind of a rebel. I don't do great with someone telling me what to do. But I want you to think about, is there anyone in your life where if they were to say it, you would respond to them, because you said so, I will. Because you said so, I will. Is there anyone in your life like that? Or maybe is there anyone where you're that person for them, where if you say it, then they do it? Some of you are thinking of children and thinking that's not the case. <laughs> that's the opposite of my life. Or maybe you're a manager of people at work. Well, you probably, like me, have worked through a lot of your um, Netflix and other streaming sort of shows to watch. And so I'm now down to the bare bones, and I've been going through the show Jag. Okay? So this is like an older show about the Navy and about Navy lawyers. And I do love a good, like, crime drama, but, like, not a violent one, like a really cheesy one. And so JAG is, like, perfect for that. Um, and it's not my first experience with the military. My stepdad was in the Army. My first babysitters were Marines when I was growing up in Africa. So I understand military. I understand order. But I still have been amazed as I've watched these episodes at the, the concept of obedience in the military. You know, if one of these officers, if he disregards an order from someone above them, they can be court-martialed no matter what the order is, small, big. Because obedience, knowing the person is in authority and doing what they say is so important. And is like, it's important for order in the military, right? So who's that person for you? Where you say, because you say so, I will. Some of us may be thinking about, yeah, kids or bosses. Or maybe you're thinking about pets. Because maybe the only person in your life who does do that is the dog. And I like to say, dogs say, okay, because you say so, I will. And cats say, because I say so, you will. <laughs> That's the difference if you've ever owned both of those animals. But I heard this story about a dog, um, which I needed to share. And it's a story about a dog who goes to a butcher shop. 
And the butcher sees him at the door, and he's trying to chase him away. But as he's chasing him away, he sees that in the mouth of the dog is a $20 bill and a note that says, five pork chops, please. (laughs) So he's like, okay. So he takes the 20. He fills a bag with the pork chops. He puts it back in the dog's mouth, and then the dog walks away. And the butcher says, this is crazy. What's going on here? I've got to figure out where this dog is going. So he closes up his shop, and he follows the dog. And the dog walks down the street, and the dog waits for the light to turn, you know, for the walk sign, and he walks across the street over to the bus stop, and he sits at the bus stop. And then the bus comes, and the dog gets on the bus. And so then the butcher follows him. So they're on the bus, and they go a couple miles down the road, and at some point, just before the next stop, the dog goes up to the driver, sits there, and looks at the driver. And the driver stops the bus, and the dog gets out, (laughs) and the butcher gets out, and they walk a couple blocks up, and the dog goes up to a house. He walks up the steps to the front door, drops the pork chops at the front door, and then the dog backs up. And he runs to the door, wham, slams himself against the door. Nothing happens. So he backs up again, runs, wham, into the front door, nothing happens. So the butcher is like, what is this dog doing? So then the dog goes around the side of the house, walks along a wall, goes up to the side window of the house, and starts jumping up and down, you know, like dogs will do to try to get, see you through the window and barking. Nothing happens. So the dog walks back around to the front door. And just then the front door opens. And the owner is kind of a big guy, like opens the door, and he starts yelling at the dog. And the butcher will have none of this. So he comes running from across the street. And he says, what are you doing? This dog is a genius. You can't berate this dog. And the owner says, genius, my foot. This is the second time, this is the second time this week he's forgotten his keys. Yeah, it's good. It's good, isn't it? That's real. This is gold, people. Comedy gold I'm giving you here. Um, You're lucky. I saved you from a lot of dog puns. That was your other option. Um, So obedience. Sometimes when we think of obedience, it's, it's imperfect, right? Our obedience to people in authority above us, people's obedience to us that we're in authority over, And so here we have Jesus. He's on the lake of Gennesaret, as Luke says. Really, it's the Sea of Galilee. So let's look here at Luke 5. Luke 5, starting in verse 1. Looking at this idea of obedience, both in times of failure and obedience in times of flourishing. So Luke 5. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. So he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked all night and haven't caught anything, but Because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boats to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. 
So we heard last week that Jesus was down in his hometown of Nazareth, right? And that didn't go so well, right? He starts reading from Isaiah. They want to run him out of town. So we saw from the map, and I love maps. I love when speakers use maps. So you saw last week that Jesus then went back up to Capernaum. So even though he will be called Jesus from Nazareth, a lot of his ministry will happen up near Capernaum, up near the sea, what's called the Sea of Galilee. Luke is actually the only one who calls it the Lake of Gennesaret. The other gospel writers go with the Old Testament version by calling it a sea. So this is a Sea of Galilee, but it is more like a lake, especially when you come from here. Uh, It's 13 miles by 7 miles. It's not that big. And it's about 700 feet below sea level. So Jesus is here in the Sea of Galilee, and I've gone swimming at night in the Sea of Galilee. It's a really beautiful place, um, and that's that's something to put on your your bucket list. But Jesus is here, and he sees two boats, and he sees that the fishermen are off cleaning their nets. So what we can take from that information is that this is probably morning, because the best time to fish was at night. So, and at the end of fishing, the fishermen would clean their nets. They'd spread them out, they'd dry them out so that they'd be ready for that next evening's fishing tour. So he's seeing that they're cleaning their nets, it's morning, they're done with their their day of work, and Jesus sees two boats, he's getting crowded in, so he's like, can I get in this one to Simon? Now, Simon actually already knows Jesus, and we'll see, him, we'll see him called Simon Peter, and we'll see him called Peter, and we'll see him called Simon, but it's the same guy, just so you know, and don't get confused. This is Simon Peter. Simon Peter already knew Jesus. In fact, in the chapter before, in chapter 4, Simon has actually invited Jesus to come to his house because his mother-in-law had a fever, and Jesus had healed his mother-in-law. So he already knows who Simon is, and Simon knows who he is. He knows that he's a healer, he's a teacher. And so he says, sure, Jesus, you can use my boat. So Jesus says, okay, let's push out a bit from shore. It says, then Jesus sat down to teach. And we know from last week, sitting is just a traditional way that they taught. So he sits down and teaches the people. And then he gets this great idea. And he says to Simon, you know what? Let's cast out, let's go out and do some fishing. Now you can imagine if you're in one of those types of work fields, types of employment where it takes a lot to kind of clean up everything at the end of the day. You know, maybe you're um, owning a restaurant or maybe you're in the medical field, but there's just, maybe there's a lot to do at the end of the day and you know how tired you are and all you want to do is go home, like you're done with the work. And that's where they were. They were in the stage of cleaning their nets. Everything had been done. They were clearing it up. They were exhausted. And they'd also not had a very good night of fishing, right? This had been a fairly fishless night. They hadn't caught anything. So it was a discouraging day of work, let alone they had just finished cleaning everything up. And Jesus says, let's go, you know, cast our nets. Let's go, let's go get some fish. And we see this reaction from Simon, but we've toiled all night and we've taken nothing. He was saying, you know, Jesus, I'm the fisherman here. Night is the best time to fish. You don't know anything. You're a carpenter and we didn't catch anything. So why are we going to go do this? At this point, the word of Jesus comes home. It literally invades the calling, the job of Simon. And you can see a resistance from Simon of like, hang on, dude, like this is my world. Like you've been sitting in the boat. You've been talking about, you know, the Torah. You've been talking about the scriptures. That's your world. But like you need to leave my world to me because I'm the one who knows best about this world. And it reminds me of this next slide. Do you know what this is? Shout out if you know what it is. Trivial Pursuit, yes, so Trivial Pursuit, it's a trivia game that my family played all my life. So maybe you see this and you recognize it right away. Maybe like me, you start to sweat when you look at it. (laughs) There's some feelings of trepidation because I am terrible at trivia. I'm terrible at quizzes. I get all nervous and I can't remember my name. Like, so my childhood was spent playing a lot of Trivial Pursuit, unfortunately, and losing every time to the members of my family. 
And if you know Trivial Pursuit, you know that at the end of the game, what you want to do is get each of those colors into the different squares. And they all represent a different, a different part of trivia. So maybe one is history facts, one is sports facts, one is pop culture, one is, you know, spelling or something. So there's a whole bunch of them. And by the end, you want to have each of, those, each of those triangles in its pie. And I think sometimes our life is like this, segmented out. You know, I've got my job over here, got my family over here, got my friendships over here, maybe got my schooling over here, and maybe I've got my faith over here. And maybe my Jesus part is just a, is a pie. And like I engage with it on Sundays, and if someone asks me about it in the week, I mention it. Otherwise, it kind of doesn't interfere with the rest of my week. Maybe I go to a home group and I pray about some stuff, but otherwise they stay pretty separate. And the thing about coming to follow Jesus is he wants the whole pie. And part of obedience is actually giving him the whole pie. It's actually letting go of the illusion that he doesn't know about certain parts of our lives. You know, like I sometimes, sometimes we think like something's in the back closet and we're like, don't tell Jesus it's in there. You know, <laughs> don't tell Jesus that I sometimes have these feelings over here or that I really don't like this person over here or that I have trouble with forgiveness, or that I have this history, and we, we take apart the pie, and we want to hide pieces in different places. But Jesus has come for the whole pie, and Jesus actually knows every category. He knows every category. So here we see Peter doing a very human thing that we might do. We might say, Jesus, I'm the fisherman here. And maybe you felt that in your own work life, where you've gone, listen, God, I'm, I'm the one who knows how this job works. Maybe you sense God calling you to do to take a step of obedience in your work life or your vocation, but it doesn't make sense in the, in the human aspect. It doesn't make sense in the world, in your job, and you're thinking, Jesus, has a stupid idea. Why would I go try to sell this to this company over here when this company's bigger and it's the one that I'm supposed to be selling to? You know, those small voices of the Holy Spirit in the day leading you left and right, and sometimes they don't make sense. And sometimes we find ourselves arguing with Jesus, but Jesus, I know better than you do. So here's Peter with this sort of posture towards God. But then he does an amazing thing. He says, you know, we fished all night, haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will. Because you say so, I will. Master, which is a word that's kind of like boss. It didn't mean rabbi. It meant just someone in authority. Master, because you say so, I will. And he lets down his nets. Where do you feel that pull in your own life from Jesus saying, come over here, Sarah. Come make this decision, John. And you can feel yourself going, but Jesus, but Jesus, I know more than you know. And, and he's just longing to invite you to say, but Jesus, because you say so, I will. So Peter might not agree with him, but he could obey. And obedience brought results. We see that Peter and his friends, they let down the nets. And enclosed is a great multitude of fish, it says, too many for the nets to hold. Even when the fishermen signaled to their partners in the other boats and the two other boats came, they filled their capacity and they started to sink. So this wasn't just about good fishing technique, right? This was a miracle. There's actually a boat that they found in Galilee, and you may have seen these pictures before. If you go, you can visit it. I've gone and seen it in person. In the 1980s, they found a fishing boat from the time period of Jesus, discovered on the northwestern shore of the, Lake of the Sea of Galilee. So it's largely made of cedar and oak. It's kind of amazing that it had lasted this long. And it measures about 26 feet long. It's about 7 feet wide, about 5 feet deep. And it can hold a ton. It can hold five crew members and all of their catch or 10 passengers. 
So these boats held a lot, and yet they were sinking. Multiple boats were sinking. This was the most incredible catch that they had ever seen in their whole lives. And I tend to think that if Simon hadn't obeyed, there probably would have been no catch. Jesus could have just thrown some fish in the boat, right? He's the the master of creation. We see in other places in the Gospels, he's going to still the storm. He's going to do other miraculous things. He's going to heal people. If he just wanted to give them a bunch of fish, he could have done that. He could have just thrown it into the boat. But he wanted Peter to participate. He wanted Peter's obedience. And I'm so glad they give us the example of Peter because it's not perfect obedience, right? Like he's a little begrudgingly. He's full of doubt, which we often are in those moments. He's so full of doubt, but he goes, all right, Lord, because you say so, I will. Because you say so, I will. And he puts down his net. And out comes this amazing, amazing multitude of fish. The Lord doesn't pitch Peter overboard, right? He doesn't say, all right, done with you. You're, you know, you're not full of faith. I'm moving on over here to these guys in this boat. They look like they're full of faith. No, he just needs a little bit of Peter's obedience. It doesn't have to be perfect obedience. Christ honors simple efforts to obey him, even the simplest. It's more about the posture of our hearts. Are our hearts set on obeying him? Even if they're full of doubt and questions and and we think, God, this is implausible. This makes no sense. But because you ask it, I will. Abraham left his home, right? Going to a promised land that he didn't know where it was. Like packing for a vacation and he didn't know the destination. But he goes, because you say so, God, I will. Moses goes back to the place where he was enslaved to free his people, not knowing what was going to happen. But because God said so, he said, I will, even though he was full of his own imperfections and doubts and worries. Esther goes before the king to have a conversation. Even though she knows it's against the rules, she'll be killed for actually going to the king without being summoned. But she says, because you say so, I will. Rahab hid the spies in her house when they were going out to spy the promised land, even though she wasn't even Jewish. These weren't even her people. But she went in faith, not knowing what the outcome would be. Christ honors our simple efforts to obey him. And Peter didn't instantly obey him. He grew in it. None of us are born obeying. (laughs) As you know, if you're a parent, it doesn't come automatically. None of us are born obeying, and a lot of us up to the age of 70 still have a lot of trouble. But we grow in it as we grow in Christ. And as we grow in trusting Christ, as we realize God's love for us and God's goodness, that allows us to grow in our ability to obey. So they let down the nets. They have this amazing catch. And then what does Simon say? He says, Lord, he discovers who he is right? There's a change. It's not master anymore. Now it's the word Lord. Lord, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. All of a sudden, there was a, a, just a, a snap. Something changed in the atmosphere. He realized who was in the boat. He realized he wasn't just a teacher. He realized he was God. And he said, whoa. He realized this person was other than him. Something had changed. I love stories of when, you know, someone's uh, disguised as someone else and they appear and then the people are like, ah, I didn't know it was you. And I saw one of these really funny ones this week. So Jimmy Fallon uh, is a late night talk show host, many of you know, and he did an episode this week where Michelle Obama joined him and they parachuted into people's Zoom rooms unexpectedly. So these people didn't know they were coming. Don't you see this? See how they react. Hey, it's Jimmy Fallon. Wrong Zoom. Oh, hello. No way. You <laughs> stop it. Hey, it's Michelle Obama. Wrong Zoom. Was that for real? Yeah, that was real. It was real. 
that you should never use a box cake ever. So if you use Twinsy. anything that was Twinsy, <laughs> Twinsy, Twinsy, Twinsies, Twinsy. Oh, there you are. Hi, there you are, Twinsy. Is this oh, real? Think... Is this real? Oh, sorry, real? Jimmy. Who's it's real. It's real. Oh, I'm oh, stuck. Sorry, our bad. This no, is that, so that box cake sounds good to me, by the way. <laughs> I, yeah, I love box cake. Let me make you a real cake. <laughs> <laughs> what song should we do? Saints go marching in. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. But before taking soda, I went to diet, and I love diet more than I love the other. Uh, so I'm with you, Joni. The diet is oh, <laughs> This is a band practice. Wait, we're in the wrong Zoom, I think. <laughs> that was odd. <laughs> that was weird. That was odd. Cool, cool. Anyone else? Wrong. Zoom. Oh. Wrong. Huh? What? Zoom. Wrong Zoom. What's happening? Oh my God! Oh, hi, Michelle. Hi, We're in the wrong Zoom. Sorry, guys. Oh, my, bad. Gosh, my fault. You That's my fault. Hello? Can you come back, please? Wow! Oh, oh, it was an illusion. It really happened. Oh my God! Yeah. <laughs> Well, obviously, they didn't react in the same way that Peter reacts um, when he discovers Jesus's presence. They were excited. And I wonder who you might wish was, you know, parachuting into your Zoom room in the middle of your work week. Um, but when Simon realized who Jesus was, what does he do? He becomes afraid, right? And we've talked about this, actually, when I've come before. We've talked about the idea of theophany. Theophany is when the presence of God shows up in the Bible, which happens multiple times, and people react they go, whoa, they have similar reactions across geography, across centuries, across relationship and age. They react similarly. And one of the things that almost everyone does when God's presence shows up is they become afraid. They all of a sudden realize that God is not like them. They're in awe of the power of God in the moment. And that's what happens to Simon. He goes, whoa, you are so holy. And he calls him Lord, which is the name more appropriate for God, for holiness. And he says, Lord, whoa, I am a sinful man. Go away from me. We see this in Abraham in Genesis when he sees God. It says, then Abraham spoke up again. He said, now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes. Job in Job 42 says, after he's Seen God, hear God respond to him. He says, therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. And lastly, Moses and Isaiah, he says, woe to me, I cried, I'm ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I'm among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. So this, re this response, realizing that God is different than us, he's going, Jesus isn't just a teacher, Jesus is a miracle worker, right? Jesus has made all of these fish come from absolutely out of nowhere, so it says amazement seized them, and all of his friends were also amazed, all his companions. It was their best catch of the day. Imagine your most miraculous day at work, okay, or in your life or in your family. What might it look like? Maybe you got straight A's in studying in school, and you actually hadn't studied for the test, okay? So this is like total grace that this is happening. Or maybe your child begins to sleep through the night, and you haven't even started sleep training, okay? So it's a total miracle. 
Or maybe you're like Brenda and your favorite team, Duke, wins the NCAA tournament and they weren't even in it, right? Sorry, Brenda. So sorry about that. So it's a miracle. It's a vision of grace. It's a symbol of God's grace. There'd been no fish. And now there are more fish than they can even handle because they said yes to Jesus. Not only was Peter the hub of this miracle, but others were drawn into it. It wasn't just for his blessing. And that's an important thing to know when we're in a season of overwhelming catches of fish, that actually our blessing is meant for other people. It's not just for us. We're not meant to hold it in for ourselves. We're meant to be a blessing to the nations, as the covenant of Abraham says. As God blesses us, we're meant to bless other people. So our obedience can often be for the blessing of other people. We think of our obedience as very singularly just between us and God, but God is so much more involved in, in, in caring for our community, for his whole bride, for the whole world, that rarely is our invitation to obey just meant for us. It's actually meant for blessing for others. Jesus asks us to do something, and when Jesus asks you to do something, you can bank on the fact that without a doubt, blessing will follow. Blessing will follow because this is a good father. So Jesus says, stop being fearful, Simon. Stop being fearful. He doesn't say, don't be afraid. He knows he's already afraid. It's already happening. He says, stop, stop being afraid. He says, henceforth. And that word henceforth means something's changing. I'm drawing a line in the sand. Things will never be the same again. Your life is going to be completely different. He says, henceforth, now you will be catching men. And that tense in catching men is continuous. You will now continually be a fisher of men. No longer just a fisher of fish, a fisherman of fish. And all of a sudden now we realize this whole story in Luke is a symbol. It's actually a prophetic sign of Peter's life. God is changing the winds of totally changing the direction of Peter's life. Once he was a fisherman catching all these fish, but now the symbol of this fish is actually their symbol of the people that he will catch as he begins to start the church and as he begins to minister in Jesus' name. In fact, the word for multiple, there were multiple fish, so many fish coming out, is the same word multiple in the book of Acts for the people, the men and women and families that would come to know Jesus. Luke knows what he's doing. He's saying to us, listen, something is shifting here, and all of a sudden, it's actually not about Jesus supplying practical fish to these fishermen, just giving them a good catch, the best catch they've ever seen in their lives. No, he's actually changing their call. He's saying, this isn't what I'm about. I am good. I do answer prayer. I am involved in your everyday work life, but there's something bigger I want you to do. I want you to be about fishing people. I want you to be about multiplying my kingdom. And that's his call to us as well. Even as much as he sees those, those dark, dry, failures of a day at work sort of times that we feel, and he can see that we can't see any fish, and he wants to provide for us in those places, even more he's passionate that we say, because you say so, Jesus, I will. And we follow him into his kingdom. And we become those who not only fish in our everyday work and not only provide in the ways God's called us to, but we're actually people who see his kingdom. We're people who see lives and who start fishing for people in Jesus' name and by the grace of God. And it is by the grace of God. And so all of a sudden, the most extraordinary thing happens of all in verse 11. They pulled their boats up on shore and they had a big fish fry. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. They pulled their fish up on shore and they said, well, this is going to take us all night to clean these fish. No. They left, right? They left everything. Imagine your most successful time at work. One time I had a job in a nonprofit. It was one of my first jobs out of college. And I all of a sudden realized that the boss was asking me to do things. He was asking me to lie to our clients. 
And we were a nonprofit. We actually worked with impoverished families. And he wanted me to lie to them in my role between him and the families. And finally, I just said, Lord, I can't do it. I've got to go. I felt like the Lord said, you can't stay in this place and still be, and you know, not be, not have integrity. And it was my first job, and I thought, it's going to look really bad. I've only been here eight months. I know that looks bad on a resume. I had all these reasons to not want to leave. And then the day I made the appointment to go in and tell my boss I was leaving, he said, Aaron, we've just done a restructure of the organization. We've looked at salaries, and we've realized your salary isn't quite commensurate with your, with your experience and with your role, so you're going to have a $15,000 raise. $15,000 raise. Okay. And in that moment, I was like, Jesus, what do I do? And I just felt the Lord said, I told you to walk away, right? I called you to this. I told you to, to choose me over this abundance. And so in that moment, I surprised my boss, probably the last thing he thought I would say. And I said, I actually need to leave my position. I'm actually needing to resign my position. I can't stay in this place where I'm lying to the people we're meant to be providing for. And he was definitely shocked. But that was a moment for me where I think about that with the fish. It was all of a sudden like, if this was your best day at work, and all of a sudden Jesus said, but let's go over here and go do this thing over here. Let's leave our calling. What does obedience look like for you, both in the places of a fishless night? And maybe that's you. Maybe this has been, this has been a hard year for everybody. But maybe particularly in your area of studying or calling or family, you feel more drought than anything else. You're feeling like, God, I just keep putting down my net and it keeps coming back up empty. Put it back down, it comes back up empty. Or maybe you're in the place where you have that abundance. You can, you have been, you know, this year's actually been good for you or the last few months things are in recovery and all of a sudden you're in a place of abundance and God is saying, actually, he wants you to do something else or he wants you to do something with that abundance that you would never had planned. Maybe it's to bless other people. But what is that whisper of the Holy Spirit to you this morning where God is saying, Say yes. Just say yes. Just put down your nets. Just walk away with me. Choosing me above all else will bring you the greatest reward. For many people walking away from God like that, the hardest part is trusting God. Because we're not going to say, yeah, because you say it, I will, to someone who we don't feel like cares about us, right? We don't just obey someone unless we know that they care about us and we can trust them. So maybe for you right now, it's hard to say to Jesus because you say so, I will. Because you don't trust God right now. That's okay. That's a good place to start is to say, Jesus, I'm having trouble trusting you. I'm having trouble trusting you with the practical things, with my heart, with my emotions, with my future. Let God start there if that's the hardest place for you with obedience. C.S. Lewis says this about obedience. He says, to have faith in Christ means, of course, trying to do all that he says. There'd be no sense in saying you trusted a person if you wouldn't take his advice. Thus, if you've really handed yourself over to him, it must follow that you're trying to obey him. But trying in a new way, a less worried way. Not doing these things in order to be saved, but because he has begun to save you already. Not hoping to get to heaven as a reward for your actions but inevitably wanting to act in a certain way because a first faint gleam of heaven is already inside of you. Simon didn't know what was coming in his future of following Jesus, but he caught a first faint gleam of heaven. He knew something was different about this God. Something was different about this Jesus. And that was enough to obey him and to walk forward. Let's stand.
Let's stand as we respond to God in worship. And as we do, I encourage you to bring to God whatever area that is you're feeling your resistance to obeying him in. Or maybe there's a piece of your pie you know you've locked away safely somewhere else saying, God, that's, that's my secular world. That has nothing to do with you. What part of you feels incongruous right now, not, not full of integrity, not all fitting together? And let's invite Jesus into those places. By his grace, he can do a miracle, even when we can't see it.